Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Cliff Wilson back on the show. It's been over six months since he was last on, and so I wanted to get a bit of an update on how he was doing. Is he going to be competing anytime soon? You're going to find out today. And really, this was a very deep discussion surrounding Cliff as a coach and my coach. For those that don't know, I'm going to be looking to take the bodybuilding stage this year. Uh, The first time I stepped on stage was 2014, so it's a decade on. And I just decided I want someone to take over the nutritional reins and just tell me what to do and guide me through that. Cliff is someone who I highly trust and obviously he's been on the podcast a bunch of times. So we're going to talk a bit about why Cliff is my coach, what we've been doing, and then what makes a client successful, the difference between gen pop versus more advanced clients, how to coach those and much, much more refeeds during an off season. Why would you maybe want to think about doing that? Uh, Really great chat. I always enjoy talking to Cliff. So lots to learn from this episode. And as always, guys, if you do want to help us out, give us a review over on Spotify, comment down in YouTube. We always appreciate that. Give us a thumbs up, share it with anyone that you think might enjoy it. And of course, subscribe to our podcast. It's very much appreciated. It allows it to grow so we can keep bringing on amazing guests like Cliff. So guys, without further ado, let's get into the show. So Cliff, it's been a little over six months since you last came onto the show. And I know from our previous discussions, you've been dealing with some kind of ill health. And from chatting to you more recently, I know you've been getting back into the gym and that's been ramping up. Give the listeners a little bit of an update on what's happening in Cliff's like personal bodybuilding journey. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a long road back. You know, I know a lot of uh, I've been on quite a bit, even when I was having health problems. So um, probably my last show was about oh my gosh, about a little over five years ago, and I had health issues fairly shortly after that. And it's just been um, it's been I was so down probably a year after that, and it's just been like I. I would say in the early stages, I kept waiting for this moment where like everything just got all better. Do you know what I mean? But that that never really occurred, but it has been this like slow, very slow march upward. Um, I'm, you know, I, I think we discussed it last time I was on like several heart medications. I'm I'm down to basically the bare minimum of one heart medication, which is good. Um, so things are improving. Training is uh, tr- Training is picking up quite a bit. Uh, much more consistency, much more intensity. Like I'm actually taking sets to failure again, which feels so good. And it's funny because as bodybuilders, like we love doing that. You know, general population's like, oh God, do I have to go work out so hard? And we're like, oh God, do I have to hold myself back? Um, so no, it's good. I, I I was discussing it. You and I were discussing before we turned on the camera. You know, people have been asking me if I'm going to compete again. I've been getting that question in the gym. It would be a question of whether or not i feel like my body will hold up um i think i would i think i always kind of have that eye on it do you know what i mean like if if i if i don't try i don't think i could ever forgive myself (laughs) you know what i mean if i try and i don't make it because my body just won't hold up then that's fine do you know what i mean um i'll just hey you know it wasn't meant to be but i think you know if i i don't want to be 20 years from now and look back and think, I, I wish I would have tried. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. I'm always kind of working in that direction. Um, my training, I know I've, I've lost a little mass in my legs, which needs to come up. But I'm only about, um, I know this sounds bad, but yeah, I, I posted the progress photos from when I was sick. I just had so much weight gain. 
Um, <clears throat> I'm only about 28 pounds over show weight right now, which is like my, it's a pretty normal, comfortable off-season body weight for me. Um, sure. And so um, now I kind of feel like now we can do some real testing. My training intensity is good. I'm at a good, fairly lean off-season body weight, you know, and it's like now we can really start testing and see what what I'm capable of. <laughs> Did you notice when you started getting back into the gym, like it was quite rapid, like that muscle memory, did you see it kind of kick in and you're like, oh, this is like positive. Like you, I guess you were dieting, but maybe also gaining muscle. Yeah, I, I have been, but it's also, I've been able to see it like, so I've been able to see it at the times when I've been able to turn it loose. Um, what I mean by that is like, so usually I've been able to go in the gym at any point um, and go really hard like i can go really hard for a day or two or sometimes even three but if i start to overextend myself i notice that like i start having some issues with my heart coming out of rhythm and it won't you know the medication doesn't do what it's supposed to do so but one thing is like sometimes i've overdone it a few times in the process i'm not gonna act like oh yeah everything's been real smooth i've overdone it a few times in the process but even if i have like a week of overdoing it I, and this isn't just me like in my head i've had people even comment that they can even almost see the results in the corresponding week or two um i'm i'm sure that muscle memory is just firing and i've done a couple of you know i've posted a couple of experiments where i've had people gain like due to muscle memory like 30 pounds of muscle in like two months because you know they had atrophied and i do notice it comes back extraordinarily fast when i can just turn it loose in the gym the question is always like, how long can I continue to turn it loose for? You know what I mean? So I kind of pulls, you know, I do a lot of um, auto regulation where it's like, I'll, you know, rank it, ramp it up for a while and then pull it down and ramp it up and pull it down and kind of just trying to trend upward over the course of time. I wonder if this, this is like the naturals closest to being on PEDs, like <laughs> having yeah. atrophied and then having muscle, muscle memory kick back in. You're like, oh, like being able to see gains within a week is a, like essentially an advanced body, natural bodybuilder. It's like <laughs> you never get a chance of that happening normally. I, yeah. And even like I, get, I always get this like when I get lean or, or fairly lean and, you know, when I'm at like peak muscle mass, I always have this like really big vein that travels across here. Yeah. Um, and I, people I know always comment on it and like that made an appearance for the first time maybe like a month and a half ago and I, I, I was like oh, oh hello old friend you know <laughs> like, yeah nice yeah that's exciting and I hope yeah things just continue on an upward trajectory there and yeah maybe the stage will call you at some point and I guess it's just for you uh, having the maturity if you do start a prep and health starts diminishing I, I do you feel like you're mature enough now where you wouldn't just have that kind of go harder mentality of bodybuilding you're like nah it's just not worth it it's, let's call it yeah off. yeah I, I would know when to pull it especially if I like started to inhibit my work or anything like that too yeah. um, but you know it's like and I guess the question I would have to ask myself is what level would I want to get back up there because I do have questions of if I would be as good as I was because I can't train with the same volume that I used to and, you know, recovery is a factor. I guess for me, even if I could come close to what I was, it would be something nice. And I guess I would say, um, it, it, would, it would feel nice to complete the comeback. Like really, you know what I mean? Like just get back up there. And even if I just did it once and I was close to what I was or the same as what I was, that would be a huge victory after everything, you know? 
yeah, it's a nice thing to work towards for sure. Like the the comeback there, and I think every bodybuilder can speak to that, especially as a competitor. Like knowing you've got the stage there in the future, it kind of gives you that daily drive and motivation to do what you need nutritionally, training wise. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's it is funny. Um, I, I actually can relate with Gen Pop people more now because when you go into the gym, when you go into the gym and you can just go as hard as you want to go. And I was having a discussion with my wife with this, like, this. I, I tend to be an all enough, nothing person. And I think a lot of bodybuilders are that way. Right. When I go into the gym and I can just train as hard as I want to and have fun with it, it's just like, it's the best feeling. But when you go into the gym and you're not training really hard, I'm like, this sucks. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't like going into the gym and doing a half-assed workout. That is not fun. Um, I'd, oftentimes i'm like i'd rather go some do something else and go all the way with it <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. um yeah the, the the halfway mentality is so difficult i think for a lot of bodybuilders and i know it is for me um so yeah it's been nice to like go into the gym and not have to hold myself back every step of the way yeah i think every everyone who does or some sort of deload or fatigue management experiences that like I used to be like oh yeah I need to do my deload and like every time I wouldn't really necessarily like it, it's that sort of like hold back mentality although I also didn't have the gears to give because that's why I'm taking the deload right but now I've just decided I enjoy in just having some more rest days and not even having to worry about going in I, I do the same thing you know it's like I, I would usually choose to not go and just rest rather than go in and hold myself back holding holding yourself back in that regard is just it, it's 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 a bummer and it kind of makes you hate that process too <laughs> yeah for sure so cliff i actually brought you on principally to talk about uh, the fact that you are now my coach which uh, i'm very excited about and uh, we've been working together well literally a month now because we start in january right so yes. uh, it's the first of february on recording and uh, I asked the audience kind of what questions they had for specifically like our coaching process, but also just for you coaching people in general. Uh, and one of the first questions people asked, and I wanted to just touch on this because I think it's, I don't know, people might find it interesting in terms of like why I chose you specifically as a coach. It's also been a decade since I've had a coach. I had a coach for my first competition prep in 2014. It's now going to be a decade on that I again take the stage. So it don't know something about that decade. I was like, ah, maybe I should have another coach. Uh, and actually, the last few seasons, it's not like I've done it just solo completely. Um, I think a lot of people who are self-coached also have people in their corner that they talk to or consult with. And last time, um, Brett Freeman helped me quite a lot towards the end yeah. with peak weeks and things. Who was actually like you've uh, worked with Brett. So uh, I was just like, I, I want to have a coach this time to also focus on my competitors and kind of offload that stress and that decision fatigue that can come in and also those self-doubts of questions of like, should I be pushing or pulling at this point? Uh, because I also am interested and I think most great athletes have a coach who gets them that to that next level. And I, I think uh, that's part of why I wanted to try that as well. So it was kind of like that, wanting to offload it, but also put it in the hands of someone I trust to see if it can kind of elevate me there. And so I can focus on the people I'm taking to stage, especially as I get more busy as a kind of so to someone who's uh, now taking physique competitors to stage to a higher level. And that's just taking more of my time. So that was a big reason. You Do you want to say something, Cliff? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because when you are self-coached, you know, and I've done that too, you do always have to have people you can bounce things off of because it's like, there are times when you're like, 
it's so hard to analyze yourself. And there's times where yeah, you think to myself, I'm like, I think this is what I'm seeing, but I, I might just be like crazy diet brain right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just that kind of point of which where I'm like, should I keep digging or should I try like that? whatever you want to call it like a reverse diet or the kind of metabolic building phase where you're slowly eating calories up to try and see if like does that relieve some stress and continue to lose some fat or reveal some more condition it's like what what should i be doing so uh then in terms of why cliff so why yourself like your record speaks for itself uh, i think i heard you on uh, the iron culture podcast and eric was just talking through like your accolades of how many people you've taken to stage and i knew these things but like it's just i can't think of a Coach was taken as many people to stage as competitively in the natural bodybuilding space for sure as yourself. So it's just like that. We'd obviously spoken many times on the podcast and yeah. you obviously came to London. We did the seminar and I saw you present and uh, I know I kind of had a good rapport with you. And I, I like you the way you think about things. It's a little bit different to me. Uh, you're a little bit more... Uh, I don't know, removed from some of the evidence sometimes, which I sometimes rely on maybe too much. And I say evidence in terms of like uh like specifically studies that come out and stuff like that i can get wrapped up in that sometimes i'm like oh it's nice to have someone who's got more experience and take a different perspective to me and like i don't as you know like i have like the world's best experts in my eyes on this podcast so i have like there's a lot of people i could call upon here uh but i just felt like cliff was that person who i'd learn a lot from because i think you work differently to me and again your mindset is we're similar but different enough where i'm gonna be like oh i wouldn't necessarily do that so i was excited to really learn from the person who i think is arguably the best in the business oh, so that I was kind of, that, yeah no, i really appreciate that and and you know it it is um it, it is a tough call sometimes like when you're especially in that process and you're trying to put it on yourself apply it to yourself i should say uh, when you're trying to apply things to yourself um it does diet brain is really a thing and it's like you're so close to you know you're inside your own body so you're feeling every sensation every physical sensation that goes along with this and sometimes it's like you're so close to it it gets very difficult to make decisions um and no i'm really appreciative that you asked me i was i was very excited when you asked me because i was like oh this will be fun this will be great because we've always gotten along so well and we've i don't know we've done a, we've done a lot of these and like you said the seminar and everything so i was like this is going to be this is going to be a fun one yeah for sure and yeah and i think also last season that i competed i took it further than i ever thought i maybe even could take bodybuilding and it kind of gave me that little bit of belief that maybe i could go oops, I, maybe i could go pro in this thing and uh, i was like if i'm gonna go there it's not gonna be easy because i just i know i don't have the structure inherently for bodybuilding like I, you can see that from my first time on stage and second time it was only last season where i kind of brought muscle up enough to kind of make up for it a little bit i'm like i'm gonna need everything like i need the kind of uh, a great coach in my corner i think to kind of take me there so it's kind of something i'm yeah i'm interested to see what we can do together i, I was literally just telling because i i think that well i would say you have yeah well like you said you have pretty decent genetics but not like like gifted category do you know what i mean like and um i was just telling one of my friends who coaches uh yesterday i was like you know because he was asking about how to approach something with one of his clients and i said you know i said for the majority of your clients you have to convince them that if they do everything right they might 
just might have a possibility of winning. And I was like, and then you have gifted athletes and you need to convince them that if they don't do everything right, they might lose. <laughs> I was like, yeah. a completely different approach with the different, different um, athletes. Yeah, that makes, that makes so much sense. Uh, like the psychology of an athlete and whether or not you need to like convince them that they are good or, hey, you need to like, you are good, but you need to make sure you don't like slip up because this this could move you the wrong direction. And just knowing how that person ticks, and then I, I'm sure you have so much experience with this, where you you have to kind of play into their personality in that sense. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so that's why Cliff, and we're going to now have good questions for you. So the first one uh, that someone asked was the biggest difference between coaching like a coach, someone like myself, versus someone more gen pop, less advanced. Gotcha. Yeah. That, that- that is a great question and we can probably make an entire hour out of that so i'll i'll try to narrow it down um so there's advantages and disadvantages in my experience and i guess um the advantage is that you are dealing with someone that often um they have such a wide range of their own knowledge and experience that you don't need to micromanage um, so if I'm going to compare it to gen pop person or a first time competitor, you know, someone just new to this process. Um, I try to think about my own coaching in terms of, um, I know this sounds a little weird, but I try to think of my, like, okay, I played basketball. I try to think of what level of athlete am I working with here? So if you're working with a lot of gen pop people and, you know, you get a feedback and gen pop even runs a wide range, right? Some gen pop people have been training 10 years. Some gen pop people are going into the gym for the first time. So I kind of think of like, what level am I coaching here? Am I a fifth grade basketball coach? Do you know what I mean? Am I, you know, eighth grade, high school? Um, when you are getting to the level of um, someone who's already a, a coach, a prep coach, or a high level athlete, you're dealing with a professional. Um, you cannot and should not I don't know why I just had a thumbs up pop up, but okay. <laughs> you cannot and should not um, micromanage them because they know a lot of what they're doing. You know, don't you don't always need to tell them this. And I've used the phrase before, but like Steve Kerr can't always tell Steph Curry when to shoot it in the game. You know, he's not shouting out, shoot it from the sidelines. Like he's he's played a role in guiding Steph Curry's decision making and setting him into good positions. And then Steph Curry needs to make those decisions. And so I kind of view that I view it that way when I'm dealing with high level athletes and coaches that I'm coaching. So I'm like, I'm not going to micromanage them. They're going to make their decisions. If I get somebody that's totally new to the process, I'm making a lot more decisions for them, right? Hey, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. I'm not asking them as many questions on what they think because they, their opinions are less educated based on far less experience. Um, the disadvantages, and this isn't, by the way, disclaimer, this is not with Steve, but I've encountered this before, is that sometimes when you're dealing with somebody, you're still dealing with a professional, but then they also have very set ways on how things need to be done. And you see this a lot in the pro level of sports, right? An athlete comes to a team, he doesn't like the way the coach is running the team, and then you have this like, you know, butting heads situation. Um, and so there are times I, I would say I've usually been pretty good at making that um, relationship work because I try to make it clear to people uh, when I coach them. Cause I've also worked with a lot of 
people that are coaches and have like, I've worked with several people that have already won a world championship on their own before they came to me. And then I worked with them to try to, you know, win it again. And I tried to always make it clear to them, like, this is their show. You know what I mean? Like I'm part of their process, not the other way around. So I try to make it sure that there's like no ego butting heads, but I will kind of like, I will draw my line in the sand where I think they're doing something harmful to themselves, if that makes sense. There have been a few times where I was like, hey, I can't make this work because we just, you know, we just have too much differing opinions, um, too many differing opinions, and, you know, that's okay. But um, I would say those are the primary advantages and disadvantages that I come across when I'm dealing with someone at such a high level. That makes so much sense to me. Uh, I don't think I've probably experienced it at the same degree you have but I've definitely experienced it on like a, a, a very similar level where someone more novice, intermediate, they just, they don't know, they haven't got the experience to pull upon to be able to give you good answers to what they're experiencing. You have to guide them way more closely. This is where I'm like, hey, if you're new to the gym, finding like a cookie cutter program online is better than you going in there and trying to design your own because you're effectively clueless at this point. Whereas once you get more advanced, that's where those cookie cutter programs just aren't going to, like they're not going to be up to snuff for you. You need to start individualizing it, listening to your own body. Have you ever found with that kind of coach uh, and the more advanced person that you have to, like, do you ever find they try and put it on you? They're like, whatever you say, coach. And you're like, no, 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 I I, I, need, I actually want something from you because you're a clued up person. You're in your own body. I'm not. Do you ever find you have to t t like, tie it out of them a little bit? Yeah, yeah. And I usually tell them like, listen, you've been training for X amount of years and you know, you have your own experience to draw some. And I was just tell them like, your opinions are valuable. Um, and you know, I'm coming, sometimes I'll even just say like, I'm coming into your process fairly newly here. And um, the information that you offer is valuable to me. And I really want that. And um, I was just kind of telling them to hone my decision-making skills. Um, and, you know, one thing that I found too, is that some people, some, some coaches are also just not great at being coached themselves because sometimes I feel like they draw the line in this, their line, you know, I draw my lines, they draw their lines, and then we see where the lines meet up. Right. And it's not always a good fit, which is, um, which is fine, you know, because just once again, it's just not always a right fit there. But um, one thing I've always noticed is that they're like, I even had something fairly recently where like I had an athlete come to me who was also a coach and he had come from like two other fairly well-known coaches and he just kept not doing well. And I kind of even just told him like, I think you need to examine where the problem is. And he had, he, he had negative things to say about every coach. And I'm like, you know, I think that maybe you're drawing your wrong lines in the sand here because something about something about what you're doing is making it so these coaches that usually produce good results are not able to produce those results with you. Maybe it's time to ask why, you know. Um, and so I, I think that uh, I think being able to be a good coachable athlete sometimes has like a completely different skill set than also being a good coach yourself. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I, I think probably other coaches listening can probably be like, oh, yeah, that red flag of the person who's coach hopped like time and time again, and they seem, I don't know, maybe a little bit combative even during the consultation or what have you. And uh, like, it's, it's definitely a challenging one to get someone to fully like trust and invest in you, which is, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I think I will be coachable. I don't know because it's been so long, oh, but I think I will be. 
<laughs> it's been a breeze already. I can oh, tell. Oh, good. Because yeah. <laughs> no I, because like at the start, I remember you saying like, there's going to be quite a few things that you're not used to that are quite different because we work fundamentally quite differently. Like I use spreadsheets, I'm tracking so many things like, and I'm sharing them with my clients and what have you. And obviously we're only doing the nutrition portion. So it's a little bit uh, different because of that. But um, yeah, obviously I, and actually it's been quite nice for me in terms of, I don't know if when I started like my first comp prep and with the way we're working, I would have been as confident as I am this time. Whereas this time I'm just like, Hey, I trust Cliff. I trust myself easy. Like, and I've, I've actually just enjoyed that. It's been quite like, like it's been very smooth to me so far. Obviously we, we haven't even started the diet yet. So like the uh, well, actual I, calorie I, deficit. Yeah. And I even told you, like, I want to just keep the process feeling easy and smooth. Like, I, I think that's where most people are going to operate, you know, their best. And you know, we were talking about the spreadsheets thing. I was, at, I did a seminar just a few weeks back and I, I was asked a good question about like, you know, why I don't use spreadsheets. And I, um, and somebody was saying that they've just tried to, um, they've tried to nail down like what pertinent information to ask. And I said, well, one, it kind of depends on the level of the person you're at, because I ask, I, I rely a little bit more on you to tell me what the pertinent information is because you are educated and, you know, someone that is a total noob, I, I might be like, Hey, here's what I want to know. But I guess, um, I've kind of honed my process down and this, and, and I'm not saying this is the right process for everybody because everybody has, everybody has their own coaching process, you know, like there, there are plenty of successful coaches in all other sports that run things just entirely differently. Like Steve Carroll and uh, Bill Belichick are two entirely different coaches, but I'm both on, you know, multiple Super Bowls. Um, but I guess for myself, I find it to be effective where, um, and I think this helps also because I have clients that stick with me for a very long time, but um, rather than trying to hone my coaching process where I'm like, this is the data I need and this is the data that's important. Um, I try to hone my coaching relationship, if that makes sense, like with the individual that I'm working with, um, where we both figure out what will be the important data going forward. And then, and then also when they tell me something, um, you know, they, they bring it up in their emails. Um, then I know what is important to them. Uh, like, cause if they're continually talking about sleep, I know sleep is an issue. We got to talk about sleep. Let's fix that. I know if they're talking about being bloated, bloat's an issue. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I think that, um, I get to find out there are things that are valuable to them. I, I know I learned that from you because I, we have our, the check-ins we do, we use video diaries so that the client records a video of themselves. And we have some vlog prompts or some questions to kind of prompt them, but that's more for the person that just has no idea what to talk about. But I think that's what I took from you because I almost always just say like whatever comes to mind about what's been important this week in terms of like good things, bad things, questions you have, that's the thing I want you to talk about. And I'm almost certain I took that away from the seminar when you came to London where that like you basically just explained exactly that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it it, honestly, when I started doing that years ago, it was uncomfortable for me too, because I was using spreadsheets and stuff like that. But then I just noticed, I, I did start to notice, um, I had one, I actually learned it on accident. I had one client that was like a little combative about not wanting to spill, fill out the spreadsheet. And I was like, whatever, let's just roll with it. And then he started getting like great results. And then, so then I started peeling back the information that I was asking for, because I started, I thought I was maybe just also starting to stress people out with too much information. And so um, I started peeling it back. And then I started noticing as I was peeling back the information that I was getting, the results were actually improving. So I was like, okay, let's just, let's just get rid of this thing. <laughs> we'll talk to each other. <laughs> I think it, it's such a valuable point, though, 
like just gathering the data that you need to make effective decisions. Because I think in this day and age, it's got so popular to like, I don't know, monitor, like you could monitor so many things if you wanted to, like your sleep score, your blood glucose, your HRV, like your waking, like resting heart rate, um, like circumference measurements, body weight, photos, like, and I think some coaches have just been like, more data is better. And I, as like an experienced coach, like yourself, like you actually rely on very few things. You don't need those you often learn what those readings would be just based off like how is someone feeling, for example. Yeah, I, I literally yesterday had a newer client ask me if he wanted me to, uh, wanted if I wanted him to send me the information from his watch that was tracking like rest periods. And and um, I asked him, I go, well, what does it all track? And then he was like this long list of things. And I go, you know what I want you to do? I go, how about you look at it and then you tell me what stands out to you? You know, they're like, I was like, let's, let's, let's do that. Because then we get to have a discussion on what he thinks maybe needs to be addressed. Because also, because I know, and also I know my tendencies, it's important to know your own tendencies as a coach too. Because I also know my tendencies where I am the type of person where I like things to be kind of like, orderly, uh, to a certain degree, um, in terms of like, I'm making sure everything is pinpointed exactly if i look at that information it's gonna be really hard for me to not stick in my fingers and everything you know what i mean and so i'm gonna i'm gonna drive the guy crazy so also that's like <laughs> you protect the realm from me you know yeah <laughs> yeah I, I get it's like yeah you could overinterpret something if you're you'll find something if you want to find something basically is quite often what happens in those cases a perfect example like it tracks rest periods i i might get just as an example i might get the information back that <clears throat> he's only resting like, I don't know, 60 seconds or something like that. And I know it's probably not a huge deal. Like my logical brain knows it's probably not a huge deal if he rests 60 or 90 seconds, but I would probably comment on that. Do you know what I mean? And then, but then that opens other cans of worms. Like, is he doing that because he's crunched for time because he has to get home to his family or get to work or whatever. And then I'm just stressing him out because I'm, I'm making this day harder. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm I'm fighting him over thirty seconds. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah, I t I totally get that. Uh, and actually, the next question is um, common attributes of your most successful clients. Um. Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna define success because I think oftentimes what people view as successful, um, they think the people that are winning. Um, now there is definitely correlation between a successful process and then a successful outcome. Um, uh, but I want to make that clear though. It's, it's, there's a correlation, but it's not a one-to-one -one ratio because so many other factors go into play into a win. You increase your odds of winning a show by having a successful process. But, um, once again, it's just increased odds. It's not a guarantee. So I want to make that clear. I've had plenty of people have won a show that have just had a total, totally rocky process that's been putting out fires left and right. So I'm going to define success by successful process, meaning they can stick to a plan. They put forth a high level of effort from start to finish. They make the process look easy. And then the big one is they make the most of their genetic potential. So let's let's kind of define success to that. Common attributes, um, man, where to begin? So I would say first off, mentally, um, they they have certain characteristics like they're self-motivated. 
Um, they're confident in, in their ability. And what I mean by that, it doesn't mean they think they're going to win. In fact, usually the people that believe they're going to win, like with all their heart, are probably the ones that deviate from the plan the most. Because the second they start to, it's it's the entire reason they're doing it. And if any doubt creeps in of whether or not they're going to win, usually they go off plan. Um, but when I say confident in their ability, they, they know that they can execute the process, right? Um, people that um, are pretty resilient. So if you get some people where if their meal timing gets messed up or they forget their lunch or something like that, it's my day is messed up. I might as well go to McDonald's. Um, but a more resilient person will be like, it's not perfect. I'll stop off and get this protein bar from the gas station or something like that, you know? Um, I would say those are some of the more, and then um, some people are very flexible, um, you know, because there are times where I say, as a coach, um, I want us to be this many pounds over stage weight by this many weeks out. Well, you know, maybe their body doesn't cooperate the way that we want maybe things look different than we anticipated as we're dieting down like you said sometimes you feel like their body looks a little more fatigued or maybe they're ahead of schedule i need to i, I want them to have the ability to be like hey our situation is different than we anticipated let's change our approach you know they don't get married to that approach so i would say those are some of like the characteristics that i like to see that, that i do see in the successful people and then other other commonalities are they tend to have their life in order. Um, I don't usually see people sticking to their diet too well when they're having problems with their kids or their marriage is rocky or they're having trouble at work. Um, I think there's a big reason why, especially like a lot of the top IFBB guys, but like they go live somewhere else for like the last 10 weeks because um, if you have the pieces of your life in order, family and work and all that stuff, it's actually like a benefit because it relieves some of the bodybuilding stress. But if those things aren't totally in order, then it becomes a detriment, right? So it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a distraction. So um, I find that some of the best bodybuilders I've ever known have like the pieces of their life, like nice and orderly um, and things kind of flow in an effortless manner. Um, and then the biggest, the biggest one is they enjoy what they're doing. Um, if, you know, everybody likes to like glorify the grind, you know, like they're like, oh, I wake up at, you know, I mean, there's a million of these things floating around Instagram and but it's like, you know, I wake up every day and I suffer to be a champion. And that sounds like really cool in people's minds, but that's not like, that's not usually how champions operate. Usually champions operate because they're like, I love this shit. Do you know what I mean? Like I wake up every day because I love it. You know what I mean? Like I have a hard time making myself leave the gym and, you know, calm down about it. Usually the people that get the best results from themselves are the people that have to hold themselves back and they're just flowing and doing what they do and what they love. Um, the people that are pushing themselves to do everything, every step of the way, they don't usually last more than four years in the sport you've probably seen that time and time again and you're not going to do anything really noteworthy in four years in the sport or any sport really yeah it's so often that people burn out because they're trying to prove something versus just making it part of their lifestyle enjoying and embracing that journey 
I see that time and time. Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, you know, doing what you enjoy and what feels natural, you know, doing what feels natural is like such a big part of this process. Um, and once again, I think that's also part of the coaching process. Like, how do you make this process feel natural? Um, <clears throat> because, well, and we kind of discussed this a little bit with like refeeds and stuff like that. But like, I think a lot of us that got into the sport have like tried to do what a lot of the old IFBB guys would do too. And it's just like eat nothing but chicken and broccoli and sweet potatoes every single day. Um, but then you come to find out those guys would also like let loose pretty regularly. They just didn't talk about it, you know? Um, and it's just, uh, I think that the more you can kind of make this feel effortless, um, the greater you're going to increase the chance for success. And so, um, yeah, I, I would say those are common attributes. And so once again, just love of the sport, having the right mental characteristics, and then, um, you know, having your pieces of your life in order are important. And then if we're going to talk, if we're going to talk stage success, like actually winning a bodybuilding show, I'm going to add in the correct genetic components. Um, unfortunately, you know, genetics do play a role. Like they would say in basketball, you can't teach tall, um, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, you can't, you can't teach a small waist. You yeah. got it or you don't, nothing you can do about it. So if we're going to add in actual stage success, winning a show, then I'll add in the correct genetic components. Yeah. I think that, that makes so much sense. Uh, I would, um, do you ever find, I guess posing obviously plays a big role. Do you ever have clients who just don't put the time and effort into their posing and that holds them back quite heavily? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, um, you can really see who's work because I do think posing coaches are a useful tool. I, I refer people to various posing coaches depending on their, their division. Um, and I think they are great for setting a foundation, but in my opinion, the bulk of posing really needs to be done on your own because the time that it takes, you know what I mean? Like you can't have a posing coach, a posing coach. Yeah. You book a session for an hour but i mean the amount of time even just little things like i'm in the gym and like what happens if i turn my elbow out or raise my elbows up a little bit more or down or you know traps up or down like those little tinkering things teach you so much about how to move your body and um over the course of uh, prep when i see when i see somebody progress I can spot people that look like they've put no thought into how to move their body. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can, I can instruct, but then like, um, I don't know if you've ever done many posing sessions with people where you're like, you'll tell them a cue or an instruction. And then it's like, they don't really know how to, you know, get yeah. it up. And I'm like, I'm like, clearly you're not practiced in the moving of your own body. You know, yeah. like first time competitors, you know, you get a lot of first time competitors. You're like, spread your lats and they go, you know, <laughs> yeah, shrug up immediately. Like, <laughs> yeah. They shrug up and I'm like, oh, that's a bad cue. But, um, you know, they don't because they haven't put the requisite time into tinkering with how to move their own body. And so um, I think there's no substitute for the time put in when it comes to that. Uh, and I cannot even tell you how many times where I, I would say bad posing has the potential to swing you on average at least two placings sometimes up to three to four depending on how bad or good your posting is and yeah. you know so it's like sometimes people will say i'll do anything to win and i don't see them practicing their posing i'm like well apparently you won't do anything 
That's so funny. Yeah, I think posing, it's unfortunate. Some people love posing and you see it because they post, I don't know, reels on Instagram of them going through flows and like they're doing like posing routines all the time. But I think the vast majority of bodybuilders don't love it. Like they love how they look and like all of that. But I can't say that in my off season, it's something I want to heavily focus on is like my posing. I might do a bit now and then to just check how I'm looking, but it isn't something like I've got. It's something that you pick up in prep and it's specific to that phase for most individuals. And some people treat it just like they treat it in their off season as an afterthought. And they're just like, oh, it's just about getting lean and maintaining muscle. It's like, no, 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 you want to show that off now. And that's where the practice comes in. And like you said, like, yeah, you, the amount of time it took me to learn how to truly like turn my quads on. It's something people can cue you all you like, but you have to just keep practicing, practicing, practicing. Then you get that kind of my muscle connection to it, to it. And it's like, oh, now it just, I don't even have to think about it. It's just there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. You, you know, especially like getting certain things to pop out, the little nuanced things. Opposing coach can't always give that to you. He can give you a nice set, you know, like how to set up and everything like that. And, and you're right. Some people love posing. Um, I'm not a big posing guy. I don't, enjoy the routine in fact at several of some of my shows i even they call my name for the routine it, it's not judged i'm you know different federations are different but I, i've usually competed in the ones where it's not judged and they call my name and i'm like i ah, just skip me um and people laugh <laughs> I, I, i've never like, seen that <laughs> yeah i just, just skip me and they're like they're like really and then a couple times they made me go out and i go out and i hit like you know, I hit five, six poses and then I just wave. I, I don't even bring music. I'm like, just turn on house music or whatever, yeah. turn on anything. Um, uh, Alberto Nunez and I were talking about it one time and he had a great line where he said, um, he goes, I'm here for the bodybuilding competition, not the bodybuilding exhibi exhibition. Um, I thought that was a great line. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think the thing is, whatever your mentality, if you're there for the competition, you still need to practice the mandatories. Like that's, yes. you know, that's not negotiable. Um, and you know, it's like, I don't think people, you know, if you don't like posing, you don't need to go crazy with your routine. Like you said, I'm usually like, Hey, skip me. Or I just walk out there, hit some mandatories and give a wave and walk off. Um, but you know, if you're serious about increasing your chance of winning, you gotta do those mandatories and do them a lot. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with a the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change, sign up today and let's revive stronger. Actually on that line of talking about posing, Obviously, it's commonly said shows are won from the back. What, what do you think are the most important poses? Do you think shows are won from the back is like a fair phrase? Is that what you would say? Because I have my own opinions on it, but I want to hear what you have to say. Um, yeah, you know, they usually say shows are won from the back, but I, I, I do think that's sometimes a little misguided because I say the show is won from the back only when it's close from the front. <laughs> um, I think most shows are won from the front. 
Uh, and I guess I try to view it in this way because everybody has their great poses. <clears throat> um, this may be, a, hopefully I can get this across because I've actually never expressed this publicly before, but I think that um, everybody has their great poses that shows off their best muscle groups, right? Their showcase poses. You're probably going to win those or improve your placings. And, but they tend to spend a lot of time focusing more on those areas, you know, those poses. Um, I think that what they need to do is look at their worst poses. Because those are the ones where it's like judges, think of how judges judge. And if they see your worst pose, there's a chance they might not even like consider you after they see that terrible pose. Um, a lot of times I'll, you know, judges judge by, I'm getting real into the weeds of the real technical bodybuilding process, but I've picked a lot of judges brains over the years and, you know, I've judged one show, but they'll judge by grouping because you have to, there's too many people up there. So they line up and they go, okay, these three guys are top three. I don't know the order. And these three guys are going for four, five, and six. If you're the guy that's grouped in their brain in four you almost don't have a chance to move into three at best you're going to be four so your first impression is extremely important um and you cannot have a pose where they're like nah slide this guy he's not even in contention for that spot anymore do you know what i mean and so um i have a couple of poses of my own and i'll do this with my clients where they're just they're really bad compared to my good ones and that's pretty common you know based on whatever your strengths and weaknesses are. <clears throat> what I often opt to do is rather than trying to do it in a very traditional fashion, you know, um, because maybe you don't have the muscle mass to do it in a very traditional fashion. I'll pose it even somewhat awkwardly at times to show off a strength of mine, because I would rather have them say, that looks all right. I'd like to see him pose it differently than them just saying he just doesn't look good in his pose. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I want. I would rather have them say he just looks awkward, but this muscle group looks impressive. Let's see the other poses now. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I want to stay in that contention point. So um, yeah. So my my long winded answer is that I think that shows can be won from the back only if you've kept yourself close in the front and the side. Um, and then, you know, you need to, like, avoid these terrible poses that just get you shoved off to the side and discounted immediately. Yeah, I think that's that's really well said. I've now, um, I've uh, been judging at the WMBF UK for the last few years. So, like, I also have now that experience of sitting there and you have to make decisions quickly as a judge. So the grouping completely makes sense. I've never really thought about it like that. But I would say a lot of the judges have that in mind when they're going through things. But it's that first impression, like you said, whenever I when I'm judging, I'm making decisions pretty rapidly because we don't have a lot of time. And so that front relaxed, like, do they have that small waist, the flaring quads, the wide shoulders? And if they don't, then they have to work really hard to get back into contention for a top placing. Yeah. And like, for example, front relax is one of my worst poses. And I have long arms. And my chest is my worst muscle group. And so if I try to do it in a real standard fashion, um, my arms look a little too long and, and thin. Um, but my chest stays a little bit fuller, right? Um, when I do it in a normal fashion, but I just have too many other things that look shallow. Like my arms look shallow, my delts look shallow. 
and my arms look long. So what I've kind of opted to do, but my chest stays as full as possible. So it's like, you think I'm trying to hide weakness, but what I've opted to do is often put more bend in my arms. Um, because if I put more bend in my arms, my chest flattens out a little bit when I do this, but I get a little bit more cap on my delts. My arms look a little bit fuller and my structure looks a little bit better. My chest looks like total crap in my front standing relaxed, but in, and that, in vein that I have popping out here really shows when I set into this position. And so now, rather than saying, eh, I don't like this pose at all, they say his chest is shallow, but he has these other things that look good. Let's look more. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's see more. So I think sometimes it's less about hiding your weaknesses, more about what can you do to show your strength. Yeah, it's a hard one. When I think about myself in that pose, it's like, and I'm always thinking symmetry and I kind of think of a silhouette in that pose. So like, I know I don't have the sweeping quads and something I've already adjusted. I did it with um, Mike Chalice, who's a coach on our team and he's really into his posing. He was just like, try a wider stance. You got, I got big adductors. And it's like, oh, actually I can kind of give the illusion of having that kind of quad base and that wider base by, hey, I don't have a big gap between my legs when I have them wide like other people because I have big adductors and the, the quads just don't sweep quite that the right way. So this is where the posing comes in, these little tweaks for the individual. Yeah, and wider stance, it's less traditional, but it works for you. Posing is also kind of like trying on clothes. There are things that like generally look good, yeah. but you don't know really until you put it on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the same with my front double. I uh, found to hide my wider waist is twist. I can't hit it traditionally like straight front on like some people can get like a lot of people can get away with. So yeah, I, I love that trying on poses. That makes so much sense. But I want to get to the next question unless yeah. you've got something else on that. No, go for it. No, no. Cool. So, and this might be a weird question to ask yourself, but do you know what attributes or do you, what do you think of the attributes that make you a good coach, Cliff? Um, I think that, well, first off, I don't think that they're, I think it's an ever-evolving process. Um, I've told this story before, but I do think it's so funny because I, I didn't realize there are certain things that I think I do really well. Um, I, I've said this before, but I think my my dad is somebody in his own career where he's had a lot of he had a lot of before he retired he had a lot of success by sometimes connecting dots and seeing patterns when other people didn't even know there were dots or patterns to be sought. Does that make sense? So I, I think sometimes that's a skill of mine. Um, and I, I kind of identified that early on, um, you know, certain things. Um, and, I, you know, we even discussed this. Sometimes I read the same research as other people, but I interpret it almost completely opposite as them. Um, and <clears throat> so I think that's always kind of been a strength of mine. But one thing that was a big detriment for me as a coach is in the early stages of my career, not understanding people. Um, I tend to, pe people that are close to me in my personal life, they're like, they know I'm a little weird. I'm an oddball, right? I tend to not understand how most other people think and nothing highlights that more. I think I was like in year one and a half. I was like, I've been coaching like a year and a half and um, uh this sounds so bad, but I've always been like a highly motivated, confident person. And um, I was getting emails and I was noticing a common trend. Like I would be asked something. I looked at um, my, my ex-wife, my wife at the time. I go, why do people keep asking me if they're doing a good job? And she's like, well, are you telling them they're doing a good job? And I said, well, they know what they're doing daily 
much more than I do. You know, they know the full truth of it. So they'd know if they're doing a good job more than I would. And she's like, you got to tell people they're doing a good job. I'm like, Aha. <laughs> okay. It didn't occur to me that somebody needed to be told that they're doing a good job. Cause that's just not something that I had historically needed. Right. Um, so honestly, that was a rude awakening for me. I was like, I don't understand how people think at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and that's kind of why I set out to, learn psychology quite a bit more because it was a big weakness of mine so i do think it's become much more of a strength of mine over the course of um my career so i would say the two things though are um if i had to narrow it down i guess i would say one the ability to see pattern recognition um because there is a lot of pattern recognition that goes on in the sport you even see it with weight trends you know what i mean like um <clears throat> I know if somebody has a big weight drop, they drop three pounds. You know, it happens sometimes. They just drop three pounds randomly for one week. I can tell them, hey, you know what? Your weight's probably going to stall next week. Or yeah. it may even come up like another pound. Some coaches I'd find don't have that pattern recognition or, you know, maybe they need to work on it. So I think that now a strength of mine has been kind of understanding people in this process. Um, and then I would also say the last one is that um, – I don't tend to make decisions in an emotional state when it comes to coaching. I see some coaches and, um, you know, when you have people that come to you from other coaches, <clears throat> you know, sometimes they share what the coach did and you get to see the other coaches work. And sometimes I notice it looks like when things aren't progressing the way they want, I see coaches start to make what appears to me to be like really erratic or you emotional changes because they're like concerned things aren't going so well so i think that um i think those would probably be some of the you know attributes that have helped me have success because then it helps me with all the little things you know what i mean like macro changes based off of pattern recognition pacing you know based off of um not getting emotional with trying to go too fast or too slow so it's like those core things and then understanding people you know how, how do i get this person to follow my plan um, I would say those core things have allowed me to like offshoot other skills. I think that makes so much sense. Uh, those are some like huge core components of uh, what I see in like successful coaches. I'm glad you went down that route. And I think a lot of people listening might be like, oh, you don't know, you have, you're a really smart individual and you read all the latest research and you have a great understanding of it. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's useful stuff to keep an eye on. But I know this as like, you could have so long as you get the core fundamentals right if you're a great coach like you said you understand people uh you can kind of collect data and understand how things are moving forward and you can get them motivated and get the most out of the, the person that counts for so much more than having all the smarts and none of that um in terms of getting that baseline of everything that you mentioned there cliff is is it mostly driven through experience do you think or do you and obviously maybe slightly genetically through your dad that pattern recognition but do you think experience has been the biggest thing for you um i i do think some of it um i do think some of it is you know experience but also there's i mean there's a lot of work that comes from it because i was you know i run that I, we were talking about before I, I started up a mentorship last year and i run that now and um i send them studies and we play a game that I, I like to play with myself for years like okay how do i prove the author's conclusions wrong like how might it be wrong so 
you can't just read the abstract. You have to read the whole study, right? And how might their conclusion be wrong or misguided or what's a different conclusion you can come to? And I think that there's a process that you need to take where I, I think one thing that's problematic in today's, and I can go off on this, but like social media, everybody's really focused on how do I regurgitate the conclusion of this study? Um <clears throat> I mean, it's TikTok videos, you know, it's like, here's what you need to do. And they point to their bubbles, right? And all these bubbles are just like regurgitating the conclusions or the abstracts of studies. And I'm like, you probably haven't even read the study. Um, I'd rather have one person spend two weeks combing through one study and sit with it and think through it. How might it be wrong? How might it be right? What are the downstream implications of this if it is right or wrong? Like you examine it from every angle um, and then you get to a greater understanding of the entire process. Um, and I'm not, because then you're not focused on how do I just take this conclusion and regurgitate it to as many people as I can to sound smart. How do I actually develop my skill and understanding of this process? And um, I've used this analogy before uh, a few times, but like, um, you know, I, I was, I'm self-educated. And so one thing that has adva advantages and disadvantages of that is that, um, okay, when you go to school and you, you know, you get your degree, huge advantages, like, okay, we're all trying to put together this puzzle of physique science, right? How do you get where you want to go? Um, we have this puzzle and like, when you go to get your degree, huge advantages, they're like, here's your puzzle piece. And then this is what it connects to. And then you connect this and they just hand you the puzzle piece, which is hugely advantageous. So it's like, in terms of like individualized facts about the human body and how it connects to physique science, someone who's self-educated will never, like myself, will never compare to someone that has gone the formal education route because they've been, you know, fact, 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 just piled on top of each other. The advantage of self-directed education is that you read online, you find the study or whatever, and you get this puzzle piece. And um, thanks to my AirPods case for serving its purpose here, but you get this puzzle piece. I don't know what it connects to. Do you know what I mean? I have to just examine the shit out of it. You know, oh, you know, we've got this here, this here. What might this connect to? And so by the end of it, I know this piece really, really well. And I think as a result, I may not have as much puzzle pieces as some people that have gone the formal education route, but I think sometimes I feel like I have, you know, I may, I may have missing pieces of my puzzle, but I think sometimes I can tell you what the picture is before they can, because I've spent so much time staring at these pieces, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think your point in terms of actually reading the study and understanding it is just so important especially in this day and age on social media like you said people are just taking the abstract and they're just reporting it based off that and it's like well what was the study duration who was the population was this ecologically valid at all like is it like something you would do in real life or is it just completely different even people do it with like the protein research where it's like a lot of the research was just done on like straight up whey protein shakes like do you eat just a whey protein shake like or are you having a mixed meal like it's that level of people aren't understanding that there's there's a, like it's complex science is not simple it doesn't give you a, just a uh, an answer to things it gives you like that single study gives you an answer to that question that that was uh, that was asked within that study not what you do every day so yeah. i think that is a great way of saying it yeah and so i think that people also misunderstand like what experience looks like 
you can't just do, 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 do for years on end and not think. Yeah. You know, do think, analyze, you know, like this is analyze, analyze. Like, um, <clears throat> I, I, another thing I do in the mentorship is I teach people like when a, when a, okay, we've all had preps that we've wished would have had gone better. Right. You coach someone and you're like, I just felt like I could have done better. And then you had some that have gone amazingly at the end of every year. I audit, you know, I go through my preps, through my emails. I could have been a little bit more aggressive at the start. I could have used different wording here. You know, I could have been more urgent in my wording um, to speed things along. Oh, I pushed them too hard at the start. Oh, my pacing here was great. My changes were great. Peak week approach. Good. You know what I mean? Like you, you get clues to what you did right. And I think so many times people don't take the time to like comb through their work. Um, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? And then you take lessons from that. And every year at the end of the year, I kind of ask myself those questions. What did I do right? What did I do wrong? What do I need to carry? And I kind of have like certain narratives in my head in terms of what I need to carry into the new contest season. Um, and so it's like, you can't just expect experience to come to you. Like you've got you to chase it. And that, you know, that, so that goes with the work you've done, reading studies and spending time like, actually like reading them um yeah and, and as you said i'm not that guy that's just like give me all the studies you got i i will i will see a study that i find interesting and i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna comb through this thing you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take my time with it and i'm gonna think on it sometimes i'll read like half of it and i'll sit with it for a few days and i'm like yeah 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 this you know this might be true this might not be this might not carry into a situation you know some of these interesting studies are done with you know, I, one thing I always also like to do is like you go into the data tables of these studies, you know, people take the conclusions of, oh, this is effective. But then when you go into the data table and, you know, the dots are everywhere, right? For each subject. And I'm like, I like to look at what the outliers did too. Why yeah. are these people outliers? You know, I don't, you don't always have the answer to that from reading the study, but you, it's fun to think of the scenarios and like, why did this guy respond so well? You know, <laughs> why, yeah. why did this guy respond so poorly? Um, like those are great thought experiments. Um, and you know, uh, one sounds really, uh, uh, this is not a comparison, but I got the idea for like thought experiments like that sometimes. Cause like, I don't know if you've ever even like read, um, like Einstein did some of his best work as a patent clerk because he would just like sit there and do thought experiments all day. And like one, he even talked about when he was thinking about the speed of light would be if he held a mirror, if he was traveling at the speed of light and held a mirror in front of his face, would he be able to see his own face because his reflection couldn't catch up to the speed of light, which is like the speed limit for the universe. So that's that would like played a part in his developing of theory of relativity. So sometimes I think it's advantageous to like run through thought experiments in your own head. Yeah, and I think like you said as someone who's not kind of formally trained in this or has like a phd or like that academic background you look at things a little bit differently and uh i think you see well we see that with the way that you talk about studies and how you might interpret them slightly differently and i think that's a valuable trait to have as well it's just i think those core components that you talked about in terms of seeing trends and essentially having empathy understanding people they're, they're just skill sets that if you don't have you could have the best knowledge in the world but if you can't communicate it to someone it doesn't really mean too much or if you can't understand how to apply it to a person because of their situation it's just not going to work for them yeah and, and you know once again and focusing on your weaknesses too because bodybuilders do this in the gym and then coaches do this 
you know, well, at home because we all coach from home. But um, like bodybuilders are like, <clears throat> you'll see guys with giant legs, right? And then they're like constantly posting on their Instagram. They're like working on being the best bodybuilder I can be. And it's just squat video after squat video of them getting amped up. And I'm like, I know, okay, maybe they're not posting the video, but I've trained with guys too. They're not bringing the same intensity to their dumbbell lateral raises as they are to their squats. Um, people get amped up to do the things that they're good at and that they enjoy. But if you're real serious, you have to also do some things that you're not good at. And so it's like, you know, I also see, I see a lot of, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this over the years. A lot of times these guys will come and go, but I've seen guys that have PhDs and, you know, they'll, it seems like their coaching results don't reflect their knowledge, right? Um, but then I'll see them post things like upping my coaching game, and then they've got pictures of textbooks. And I'm like, this <laughs> yeah. clearly isn't the problem. Do you know what I mean? Like, this isn't the problem, why you're not doing well as a coach. Like, it's something else, and you need to focus on something else because this is why you're not succeeding. So it's like, look at, like, sometimes turn away from what you're good at and we'll be like, well, what am I terrible at? Like, what do I really need to get better at as a coach? Yeah, I think that that's so well said, Cliff. I know we've we've been going an hour, so I'm a bit uh, conscious okay. of your time. Uh, how much time have you got? Have we got time for many more questions or should we try and round it out? Um, you want to do a couple more? Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm okay, happy cool. for it. So uh, I know this one came up, so it was the refeed. So I obviously, people might not listen to the improvement season with myself and Pascal. I think I spoke about it on there or I might have made it slip somewhere else. I don't know where it's come up, but... And you might have spoken about it at some point, someplace else, in fact. So refeeds are something that people know in the context of uh, dieting phases, but they're something that we've got currently in during my mass phase. And yeah, people are interested. And I obviously asked the question of why refeeds? Yeah, yeah. So I do I do typically, um, you know, you and I had this discussion when we started. I do typically prescribe a refeed even in the off-season. Um, so first off, refeed in prep or in a diet is kind of like standard protocol, one or two refeeds or something like that. Um, everybody knows it to be for physiological and psychological reasons. Hotly debated on which one may be pulling more of the levers there. Um, <clears throat> but it's advantageous when you're cutting, right? Um, you restock glycogen stores, get a little mental reprieve from uh, <clears throat> a little mental reprieve from being in a deficit. Um, but I think there are advantages in a surplus as well. I think a lot of them revolve a little bit more around psychological, um, because your glycogen stores should be largely stocked when you're in a surplus gaining phase anyway. So that's not really what you're looking at, but there are a couple of things. Well, I've, I've tried going no refeeds in the past with clients. And the thing that I find is that they may go a month or even two without it, but then it becomes this process where it almost gets set in there by them anyway. Um, social circumstances, right? You know, oh, you know, I went out with my girlfriend or I had this party that I went to or, you know, the boss invited me out to dinner and then refeed just happens. Um, so then I have a caloric intake for the week that does not have the leeway for a refeed built in. So my structure's all off. Um, the other thing is that I found people tended to have this more, well, we discussed it 
But the more you can make this process feel easy for people, it should be flowing and easy. And I find that the process just seemed easier for people when there was a refeed built in and kind of just like a why would that be type of thing. I mean, if I were to, this is pure speculation on my part, but if you, you know, if you want to speculate a little bit, um, throughout most of human existence, caloric intake was not a static thing. You know what I mean? Like we didn't just be like, eat the same exact thing every day. Um, you know, an animal was killed and people would stuff their faces before it went bad. You know, um, you, there was feasts, you know, like it's just been a part of human you know, human development is feasting, right? And so I think that I think it's probably a pretty normal psychological and physiological thing to have a full belly, <laughs> maybe once a week or so. And, um, and then if you want to also add to that, I think that it makes um, social life a little more effortless, you actually have a day in the week where you can bring fats up and bring carbs up, and then you don't need to adjust things so wildly to get a date with your wife you know what i mean like it's just there i can just you know uh, i can just have that meal estimate my calories or track it if you cook it at home or whatever but it's just a lot easier to enjoy a social circumstance and without the stress of having to rearrange a day um and i just find that the process flows a lot a lot easier um and then the question i always ask myself um because sometimes people will say like, why, you know, why with this or why with that? The one thing question I always ask myself is like, okay, is it helpful? Sometimes the answer is maybe. Is it harmful? If the answer is no, then let's go ahead and do it. You know, like sometimes, sometimes people ask me like why I recommend a post-workout protein shake when the, you know, the research on post-workout protein shakes can be a little hit or miss depending on your meal timing, right? Probably maybe not needed but i'm like is it helpful maybe is it harmful to have it no you know what i mean let's, let's do it so i kind of put it in that category i uh i imagine this is in that category for you as well because it is there for me is uh protein where like people will say oh you don't even need like a gram per pound um like you can have less than that like 0.7 grams per pound but what's the harm in being a little bit higher on protein like unless you're really like scrambling for carbohydrates and calories at some point, yeah, maybe you could have too much protein, but it's kind of in that same boat. At least that's the way I see it. I imagine you do too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you look at evidence also, you, you don't even, so sometimes, you know, correlation isn't always causation, but then sometimes you look around and you're like, I just haven't seen a lot of guys get really big on these like low protein diets. <laughs> like it just doesn't often happen. And so it's like, I, I think that, you know, if it were the case, I think we would just see a lot more of it. Um, so yeah, it's so, and you know, the refeed thing, like I said, it just, um, it was something that I noticed over time. I was like, these people just keep inserting their own refeeds. I might as well put it in. And then once I, once, once they're in, it's just like, it's just tends to be this easier thing. We, then we don't have to fuss about it, you know? Yeah. No, I, I can already speak from my experience of doing it now for a month where I, and the same with my clients where I, I wouldn't program them refeeds, but they know they're allowed to raise their calories by a certain amount on a day to then hit a weekly average by the end of the week. And I would do the same to myself where I'm like, oh yeah, you can have 20% more calories on a given day, take 10% off two days, hit your weekly calories. As long as you're not having like binges and purges, you're okay. But sometimes, and this is the same with fat as I was talking to you off air, where I would give myself like a lower end 
number and then an upper end number but if i wanted to go above that it's okay but i found myself just being like no i've got to hit these numbers every day it didn't matter if i told myself oh, okay you have this flexibility i'd end up just doing it so with them built in it's like oh now i don't have to think about being flexible i'm flexible by default and so that's already changed a bit of my coaching practice with clients where i'm like hey if you if you if they at all mention like oh it's like a bit hard to get all my carbs in i'm like ah, if they're on plenty of carbs shop that fat up it's completely fine in this circumstance and i'll actually just not give them the tighter range that i might have before just for for no really great reason apart from hey i want to have you emphasizing carbohydrates here yeah yeah and you know that is a that is a sometimes once again as bodybuilders i think sometimes we need to break ourselves out of that mold at times because i i get that way too and that's kind of like even something i do in a self-audit like if a if a client's if we're going to nitpick the difference between 500 grams of carbs and 450 grams of carbs, I'm like, there's really not going to be any performance difference, especially if I'm giving that the fat, which would probably, you know, make things a lot easier for them anyway. So I'm like, why am I, why am I fighting this battle? You know, like, let's go with a little bit more fat. The only challenge I will say I've had with fats is I do find when I don't give them any sort of if I give them free reign of just protein and calories, the number of guys I see and I look at their like my fitness pal, their food diary, and I'm like, man, this is not a health promoting diet. Like I, I have to be very specific. Like if you're if you're gonna eat higher fats, like mostly unsaturated, don't just eat like burgers and fries and chocolate and like make it up through that. I see see that very often during off season. You know, years ago, 2013, maybe I had a guy win his pro card. And this is where now I do a little bit more digging, you know, like, especially in the like, what's your diet like? You know, like, show, tell me your foods. Back then, you know, it was 11 years ago, I was like, just, just follow the macros. And I, I made, once again, not, I was, I was assuming people would make the good choices that I was making. And um, the guy went his pro card and he goes, um, he goes, man, he goes, the crazy thing is I did this with eating nothing but chicken, cocoa puffs, and whey protein. And I was like, <laughs> Okay, he won. I was like, "That's not the most healthy diet we're talking about here." <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, well, and it's proof to the point of macros are the most important thing for body composition, right? Obviously, long term, yeah. probably not a healthy approach for him to be taking. But um, right, I think I won't keep you too much longer, Cliff. I'm going to ask you, uh, I guess, to kind of round up our coaching process. Uh, we have show dates. Someone asked for show dates, so. The ones I'm looking at at the moment, I, I doubt this will change. Oh, I should no reasons to change. I'm going to cl- stress Cliff out now. Uh, no, they, they shouldn't change. These are shows I'm targeting. So it's the UK FBA, and they just have a finals now. There's no qualifiers for it, which makes life kind of simpler, but I guess it opens up uh, a different competition potentially. And then the WMBF UK are the two shows that I've got in mind. So it's like end of October, oh, sorry, end of September, early October. And then fingers crossed, I should be hopefully qualifying for Worlds. I'd be gutted if I don't, but again, I don't have expectations to qualify for that. Um, so they're kind of the shows. I don't know if you had anything to, to talk about that, Cliff. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, the biggest thing is you're in a great spot. You know, I, I think you're in this like really nice operating spot where you're not too lean to where anything feels stressed, but you're not, we don't have any large pockets of fat. So this is a great spot to be in where there's flexibility in our timing, uh, at least for what I would like to see. And one thing I always say is like, there, there's a lot of things I would like to see, but sometimes somebody's body has other plans. So we just take the path that the body takes us. But I would like to see like, um, I often like to see the prep get split up a little bit. 
Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to diet someone with like a mini cut before we get really into the prep. I always call this like dieting to the brink. When I mean the brink of the brink where things just get shitty, you know, yeah. Uh, I like to diet. And then when somebody tells me I'm starting to, things are getting a little more difficult, right? A little more tired throughout the day. Maybe sleep doesn't come as easily, hunger setting in. And then I like to be able to be like, let's stop. Let's add a little food back in, pull you back from the brink. And then we're in this really narrow window, lean spot where the end part is just, you know, chop the last bit off. So that's that's what I would like to see. But ultimately... I always take the approach of we're going to go where your body tells us it needs to go. So that that's my preferred approach, but ultimately we'll do what needs to be done to get you as lean as you can be. And I'm impressed with how much muscle you put on. I, I, I said that immediately when, when you um, sent me photos right out of the gate, I was like, he's really been putting in the work. So I think that, um, I don't know. I, I think that we're going to have a really good end result. I'm pretty excited to see it. Yeah. I'm very excited. And, Again, this is like one of those differences in the way we approach things because I know you said you are less of a like, uh, like you don't plan way in advance. Like you like to take yeah. things kind of as they come. And I would be like that person. I already had it in my head because I was like, oh, because I wasn't sure I was going to have a coach for this season. I was like, am I going to do a mini cut, then mass up a little bit and then like come into prep? Or am I going to, I'm quite lean right now. I could just really slowly go and then just start prep. And like for me, that was like the umming and ahhing I was. I was like, Cliff is doing it now. It's fine. Whatever <laughs> Cliff, people ask me about it. I'm just, when are you starting prep? I don't know. Cliff is a Cliff decides. And that that already, I just, I guess for some people, they might hear that and be like, oh, that sounds stressful. But for me, I'm just like, hey, I trust Cliff completely. I'm in a good spot, like you said. When it, like, I, I know we're going to get there and it's going to be, we've got plenty of time. And that's something I know you said you were happy. I reached out relatively early. I was like, there's no, I didn't want to be that person that reaches out like two months out and be like, hey, Cliff. <laughs> can we uh take me to the next level it's like oh, like i wish you reached out six months ago <laughs> yeah i mean no things are in excellent spot we have plenty of time and overall i'm really happy with how your body is responding with everything too and yeah, even like you and i have discussed how sometimes um when food gets hot too high you don't feel well and so that's even one thing i'm monitoring right now is just like maybe we'll start cutting early if your body starts telling us it doesn't like this high food intake for too long then then that's time you know so i i like i like definitely like reading the the biofeedback that we get and um when your body tells us it's time to switch gears i like to listen it's like that for me it's like i hit this upper end brink it's not it's like the massing brink for me it's like no you know don't push too far that way you need to come back down so <laughs> cliff uh thank you so much for your time and uh thank you for answering the questions i think people hopefully will take a lot away from this um if people want to i know actually i'm pretty sure because i've been keeping an eye on obviously your stuff i always do you've got your book is that kind of finishing up is it going to be out yeah. anytime soon it's it's not a like typical bodybuilding book it's kind of a little bit yeah. more different I, right? i'm done with it i just need to get it formatted i kind of put it on the back burner for a bit there because um i know I, you and i did that podcast probably like a year ago when i was saying it's coming sorry about that everybody but i uh i am just formatting i put it on the back burner because as some people know i started a coaching mentorship and um a coaching team actually i have coaches under me now so um but uh yeah i actually just reached out to somebody about getting it formatted and get finally getting it out 
um, cool. that's that I'm ready to get that one out because that one's been done. I have actually already started on another one, but yeah, um, I will keep you, keep you guys posted when I finally get that one out. Cause it's pretty much ready to roll. Nice one. Is there anything else? Um, if people were to kind of inquire about coaching, anything like that, where should they head or keep up to date with what you're doing? Yeah. Um, Instagram is always a great place. Um, it's CW team Wilson. And uh, my website is teamwilsonbb.com. Um, and like I said, I, you know, for my coaching and uh, sometimes when people apply to work with me, if it doesn't work for whatever reason due to timing or, you know, funds or whatever it may be, I can also place them with one of the people on my coaching team. Fantastic. I'll make sure that's all linked in the description. And guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it. And we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You will receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The minicut movement is open 24 seven. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.